What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. It is Friday, August 26th, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. Nick, welcome home. How was vacation? Thank you, Maddie. It was fantastic. It was well-needed family time and just a beautiful time. We had unbelievable weather, literally not one day of rain, um, which is terrible for drought, which I think we're going to talk about later in this episode um but great for a beach vacation and yeah we had a, we had a, a great week yeah in a vacuum you know no rain for a week while you're at the beach that's great <laughs> yeah no rain no rain for a summer all right now we're now we're talking about some issues yeah but. yeah we're definitely gonna get into that a little bit later on yeah and something we don't normally get into on the show that we're gonna do right now is the prediction game this is either gonna age terribly or age awesome but after we finish recording, I am on my way to game three of the Chicago Sky New York Liberty playoff series. Let's go, Libs. We're about to upset the Chicago Sky. Um, <laughs> I hope if you're listening to this on Friday and uh, and the Liberty lost, please do not tweet at me. Thanks. I think you should tweet out right now, Matt. Be like, hey, guys, DVR the game so that you can like see me on TV later on. We'll put if I'm on TV, we'll post a clip on social media because I yeah, that am works. vain. No, I'm just kidding. All right, <laughs> let's do this thing. Today, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. All right, time for our quick hits for the week. And the first one is by Nick Cunningham of Desmog, who writes, Children living close to fracking sites have two to three times higher risk of leukemia. The impact of fracking on water supplies is pretty well documented, but... Definitely add this to the list of reasons why fracking is bad for both the environment and the people in fracking communities. Contamination of drinking water is suspected as a source of exposure that is causing the increase in leukemia in children. And this all comes from a study headed by Nicole Diesel, an associate professor of epidemiology at the Yale School of Public Health. And she's quoted as saying that fracking can both use and release chemicals that have been linked to cancer. So the potential for children living near these sites to be exposed is a major public health concern. In the early 2010s, the fracking industry boomed in Pennsylvania. Fracking results in many different toxic chemicals and pollutants getting into the air and waterways near the fracking sites. So this study looked at almost 2,500 children in Pennsylvania. 405 had been diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. The researchers looked at oil and gas wells in Pennsylvania that fell within the same watershed as the children in the study and used an exposure metric that takes into account the topography, hydrology, and proximity to gas wells. The results of the study suggest that children exposed in utero are at an even higher risk of this exposure turning into leukemia. Other studies have shown that oil and gas drilling emits five chemicals that are known or probable carcinogens, and this latest study is even further confirmation that people who live close to fracking sites are at risk of negative health impacts, including pregnant women developing gestational hypertension and eclampsia. 
This was the largest study to focus on childhood cancer related to fracking. And biologist Sandra Steingraber says that this connects a lot of dots. She's the co-founder of Concerned Health Professionals of New York. And she added that the methodology used in this study is, quote, really robust. The article says that one consistent takeaway from so many health studies related to fracking is that proximity is key. In many states, there are no federal setback requirements and drillers are allowed to encroach on local populations, setting up their rigs within a few hundred feet of homes and businesses. In Pennsylvania, where the study was conducted, the required setback is only 500 feet, and the study found that increased risk of leukemia occurs at anything within two kilometers, which is 6,560 feet. So these setbacks aren't even close to being sufficient enough to keep children safe. And at the end of the day, like if we're not protecting our children, right, like they don't have a say in where they live. They don't have a say in what kind of energy systems they are getting their energy from. Children are represented by us, by adults and by the people that we elect to represent us. So for children who, again, have no say in this situation to be the most at risk of getting leukemia or, you know, there's like we said, pregnant women who are exposed to this. And then those children in utero are at risk of getting all sorts of diseases from fracking. Like if we're not protecting those groups of people, then what are we doing here? Yeah, this is ridiculous. Like completely infuriating is, is really the word. If I'm a parent and I live in that region or even in Pennsylvania as a whole, I'm literally packing my kids up and getting them out of there. I know it's not as easy as that, but like, yeah, why even live there? There's no reason to just like stay in a place where you can get leukemia. I know like family is, you know, your family's from this area. It's like the town, whatever. There's a lot of things that like would keep you in a, in a city, but that's not the point. It's more about like, we can't keep our own people safe. And if we continue to frack, it's just like, it's inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's two main things I want to bring up about what you just said. You know, number one, like you said, it's not that easy. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of families that aren't able to just pick up and move for financial reasons or for other reasons where, like you said, you know, they're tied to that location. Yeah. The other thing is like, there's been a big misinformation campaign shocker, right? That like the oil and gas industry is, is misleading people, but there's yeah. been a big misinformation campaign that fracking is safe. And there's like, plenty of documentaries that have gone out about how fracking is absolutely terrible for the water and the air around it and the families around it. And people still dispute it and say, oh yeah, well, like actually it's, it's plenty safe and you know, it provides an economic boom to the region. Like at what cost? Right. And that's, that's kind of what it all comes back to with fossil fuels. Like sure they're cheap. Part of that is because they're subsidized like so much, but yeah, you know, like they're cheap, they are reliable energy, but again, at what cost? And it's the same thing here. Yeah. And it's like, we literally talked about this probably like maybe six or seven months ago in the Susquehanna um, County in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. We literally talked about this same thing and not specifically leukemia, but we were talking about how like it had negative health impacts and all that stuff. Yeah. And like to think now this study comes out, it's like no sh Mm -hmm. Like why, why can't we just like put two and two together? It's insane. Yeah. And, and the thing is like, we can, right? We can. I remember in 2016 when Bernie Sanders was campaigning for president, I remember him talking about fracking and saying how it was really important that we ban all fracking. Yeah. And a lot of people on the other side of the aisle were like, 
why would we do that? We're making a lot of money off of it. And, you know, it's, it's helping supply cheap, reliable, clean, natural gas to our people. First of all, like no, no natural gas is going to be clean, no matter how, how much cleaner it is than coal, which sure it's cleaner than coal. It's not clean. And that's disingenuous. But number two, if you were doing something you're like, yeah, this is reliable, but it's giving my children f- cancer, you would stop doing it. Yeah. So why do we not act that way when it's not your children lawmaker who's writing this, but it's the collective children of a state, a country, like our group of people, our collective generation below us got screwed over big time by our inability to stop fracking when studies came in years ago saying that there was negative health impacts. Yeah. So I don't know. I think we can go on forever about this because we're talking about it now. We talked about it months ago. We weren't the first people to talk about this. Like this debate has been going on for so long, the past decade. And, you know, hopefully we're at the end of this now that another study has come out. And this time it's the first major one to focus on children. Maybe that's the kick in the ass that people need to say, yeah, we're going to stop fracking. Yeah, I'm, I'm as hopeful as you are for this, Matt, but we'll see. All right. The next one is titled Biden administration announces 310 million in funding for water reuse projects amid widespread drought by the Hills, Rachel Scully. We've been talking about it all summer, um, but the U.S. is currently facing a major heat wave that's been accompanied by drought. The American West is currently facing its driest period in human history, and this is not exclusive to the U.S. as much of the world is going through a major heat wave this summer. To combat that, the Biden administration announced over $300 million in funding for water reuse projects across the country. Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland and Bureau of Reclamation Commissioner Camille Kinlimlim Tutan announced the project will be allocated to the, quote, design and construction of these projects. The funding will come from Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law with an additional $1 million in appropriated funding for the planning. This should increase annual water capacity by roughly 213,000 acre feet of water, which can support over 850,000 people per year. Yeah, this is huge. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of water reuse projects. The number one that I always think of is gray water systems for your toilet. Um, you know, like you don't need the water in your toilet to be the most clean water you've ever used in your house. Right. So what a lot of them will do is like it takes your shower water, which is just water with soap in it. It takes your sink water, which is just water with soap in it and like siphons it over to the toilet. And that's what fills your toilet. So instead of pristine water that could be used for drinking, it's water that's just going to get flushed out anyway. So, you know, that's a really good water reuse project. And I don't know exactly what the plans are for these, but any sort of program that's going to basically collect water, clean it, sanitize it however you want to look at it and have it get reused you know whether that's like i said for toilets at home or you know if it's for watering fields like you can sanitize shower water and then use it to water crops right like they're still yep getting the water they need and that's not water that needs to be pristine because you're not drinking it in the human body so you know if all it is is a little bit of soap that gets sanitized again go for it yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you. The the gray water thing is a, is a no-brainer. You don't need pristine, absolutely crystal clear water yeah. to go to the bathroom in. I'm sorry. Like if you if you feel like you do, 
you're a little bit too privileged at that point. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking to see what this bill has in store and hopefully we'll get some more information soon. Yeah, absolutely. So Holland and Tutan's joint statement said, water is essential to everything we do and it will take all of us working together to address the significant drought impacts we are seeing across the West. As the climate crisis drives severe drought conditions and historically low water allocations, President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law is making historic investments to address water and drought challenges and invest in our nation's Western water and power infrastructure. So look, it's good to see the administration stepping up for a cause that's probably much more difficult than many of us realize. I mean, we've talked about it on the show, but like water shortages and water rights are a huge deal with a lot to unpack when it comes to them and like when it comes to how we get our water and where our water comes from. So for all this, you know, to see the administration being not quite proactive, right, because we are experiencing a drought already, but this could have gotten a lot worse before somebody stepped up and did something. So I'm, I'm really happy to see, you know, several different organizations within the federal government coming into play here and saying, yeah, let's do something about this. Yeah, well, I agree. While it is like reactive, it's still good that at least something is getting done because I'm thinking about like if we had the former administration in office, this would probably be still sitting on his table. So um, <laughs> he'd be writing in Sharpie about how we have the best water availability in California. Yeah. It's never been so wet. <laughs> disgusting phrasing. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the wettest California has ever been. <laughs> All right, but after the break, we are going to have a couple more quick hits for you guys, so definitely stay tuned. Stick around. Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the materials historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. Next up, Scotland's Butterflies Flourishing in Hotter Summers by Libby Brooks for The Guardian. Some semi-good news here related to these hotter temperatures across the globe. Scotland has seen significant increases in many butterfly species, including the Red Admiral, Orange Tip, and Ringlet Butterflies. Now, I say semi-good news because while this is good news in the short term, scientists say the flourishing populations are likely to be short-lived unless the effects of climate change are reduced. 
The Scottish Biodiversity Indicator has examined the long-term trend for butterflies since 1979 and found that there's been a 43% increase across all butterfly species between then and 2021. Of the 20 species analyzed, nine different species have increased significantly, while two experienced significant declines. The rest did not show much change. The article points out that variations in populations are also impacted by pollution and pesticides, but the main drivers of change are likely climate change and changing weather. The report also highlights that some populations of butterflies are shifting north due to climate change. So some of the butterflies that have traditionally lived in Scotland's warmer southern coast can now be found throughout the country, which is probably so cool when you're like, oh, wow, I can't believe that in my my town, my city, you know, (laughs) getting these really cool butterflies from the coast all the way up in Glasgow. It's not good, right? (laughs) Like if the climate trends too far in this direction, more frequent droughts and wildfires are going to kill adult butterflies and kill the plants their caterpillars feed on. So, you know, this might be nice in the short term. And look, like we said, the population's growing right now. Like this is a short term good thing if warming was to stop right now. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I don't want to be a negative Nancy, but I hope this isn't just like a good now for bad reason type thing. You know, it is, it a hundred percent is like if, if this keeps going north, right. Well, if the temperatures keep going north, the butterflies will also still keep going north in that case. But anyway, they're branching out because they can, and, and they shouldn't be able to do that. Right. Like they're warm weather butterflies from the South. And all of a sudden you're finding them in most of Scotland. Like that's, that would, that would be like butterflies that normally live in Virginia all of a sudden visiting you in Rhode Island. Yeah, I'd be a little weirded out. I'd be like, what is this purple butterfly doing here? If there is a purple butterfly. I'm assuming there is. There definitely is. I'm assuming there is. I only see orange, yellow, and black. I think that's it. Yeah, and I mean, hopefully you don't see any more, right? Because that would mean that we're doing something good about climate change. But unfortunately, Nick, you are probably going to see purple. You are probably going to see red. You are going to see your greens, your blues, like butterflies that shouldn't live and and this isn't just butterflies right like this this is an example but this is like any other animal that's escaping where they currently live yeah because they can now branch out into areas where they probably shouldn't you know we've we haven't really spoken about it much but i know there's um there's been a bunch of studies where people are tracking whales and whales are able to swim into different parts of the ocean during different times of the year right now Hmm. that normally you wouldn't see them, which is really cool if you're a whale watcher, but really bad if you are a whale conservationist. Yeah. So that's kind of how we have to look at this. Like take everything through that lens of this is cool in a vacuum. Let me expand my view and say, damn, this is really bad. Yeah. All right. Let's get into our last quick hit of the week, and it is by Lisa Friedman and Jim Tankersley of the New York Times. And they write, after signing climate bill, Biden prepares more actions to cut emissions. The Inflation Reduction Act is now written into law. I don't have to use the word bill anymore. It's in there, baby. (laughs) That's not stopping President Biden from enacting the rest of his climate goals, according to senior White House officials. They said that a series of executive actions are on the way that will further reduce greenhouse gas emissions and mitigate global warming. These include new regulations on vehicle tailpipes, power plants, and oil and gas wells. 
These executive actions are because President Biden wants to make it up for the compromises that the Democratic Party made in order to get the Inflation Reduction Act passed, which included agreeing to fossil fuel and drilling provisions to get Joe Manchin on board. We spoke about it when it passed, but the IRA is not a perfect bill. But let's not let these fossil fuel provisions take away from the fact that this is the largest single investment to mitigate climate change by the United States. Wow. When you put it like that, it's that seems groundbreaking. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Like, is this is this a 10 out of 10 bill or law now for me? No, of course not. Are there any laws that are going to be 10 out of 10s? Of course not, because there's always riders to say, hey, we'll put this in so you sign on to it. Yeah. Like if every single person agreed on something, it would have been done ages ago. But that's what goes into politics is the negotiation. So did we have to give Joe Manchin a couple fossil fuel provisions? Yes. Is this bill overall going to reduce our carbon emissions by 40 some odd percent? Also, yes. And that's huge. Definitely. And Gina McCarthy, the White House climate advisor, said that regulatory moves combined with the new legislation and action from states could help Mr. Biden meet his promise to cut greenhouse gas emissions by 50 percent compared to 2005 levels by the end of the decade. She also called the Inflation Reduction Act a starting point. And that's exactly right. I don't want to mince my words here. The executive actions that hopefully get us to 50 percent reduction in emissions are also not the finish line. Like I would also still call those, you know, you're not at the starting point, but maybe you're 10 steps into this race. Like we can do more. We need to do more. So it's good to see that executive action is still on the table here. One of the downsides to this is that any executive action is going to be challenged in court by conservative attorneys general who have argued the Biden administration has overstepped its authority on climate change. Yeah, and the EPA is hoping to take advantage of the IRA establishing that greenhouse gas emissions are legally considered air pollution now. The agency has already been working to regulate methane, which can warm the atmosphere 80 times as fast as carbon dioxide in the short term. That rule is expected to be finalized later this year. Gina McCarthy is hopeful that the private sector will be the leader for the emissions cuts because the Inflation Reduction Act gives tax incentives to reduce emissions. So... This is a way for businesses to make more money off of emissions reductions that our planet desperately needs. Varshini Prakash, executive director of the Sunrise Movement, says she hopes that President Biden will declare a climate emergency, which would unlock federal funding for clean energy. This is a move that the White House has not ruled out. So we'll see. And Nick, I just want to circle back to something you said here. The Inflation Reduction Act establishes that greenhouse gases are air pollution in law. That is so monumental when it comes to all <laughs> these challenges that we're going to get from states and from the fossil fuel industry. Like the EPA doesn't have the right to regulate emissions right now. Yeah. The EPA has the right to regulate air pollution. So that greenhouse gases are now air pollution, that puts this back into the EPA's wheelhouse, which is going to be so, so huge as long as the head of the EPA is continuing to be appointed by environmental presidents. Yeah, 100%. And like, I'm thinking about um, how they have like smog inspections in California. Like when I lived in California mm -hmm. for a little bit, they have like, you had to get your car smog checked, basically. Um, I feel like that's going to be universal. That's one of the things like with this bill, hopefully we'll kind of just blanket statement across the whole United States. You need to make sure that your car is not just like completely throwing, you know, the fuel right out the back of the, the exhaust. Yeah. 
Yeah. If we see black smoke coming out of your car, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Like the other day, like on the, actually on the way to um, Jersey, this guy literally had an exhaust that was just spewing fumes. Like, yeah. I, like it was just straight like white smoke, white and black smoke. And I was like, dude, this guy is so lucky he doesn't live in like California or Texas or something. Yeah. All the more reason to go electric too. I mean, we talked about it last week while you're on vacation, but electric vehicles only waste about 10 to 11% of the energy used for charging them. Whereas traditional cars waste like 80 something percent because <laughs> everything just goes into like heat, right? It's just like the yeah. car gets hot and it wastes energy. So yeah, I mean, all the more reason for that. Definitely. All right. Before we head out, I just want to touch on a few things. So number one, the issue with executive action. These are a great way to get things done if you're the president because you don't need to go through Congress, but it's also really easy to repeal those or roll them back as soon as a new president is in office. So, you know, last administration, President Trump rolled back more than 100 of President Obama's environmental regulations. There's nothing stopping the next president from doing that to these executive orders that Joe Biden might issue. So two things coming up are really important. Right now, it's the primaries. I voted today. If you're listening to this, I hope you voted this week. But the midterms are going to be really important in 2022. If you are an environmentalist and you want to make a difference, make sure you're voting in the midterms and make sure we keep Congress as environmentally friendly as we can. And in this case, that means let's make Congress more environmentally friendly because we need more people that care about this planet in power. Yeah. Also, 2024 is even more important now because we have things worth fighting for. Those laws are going to be tough to roll back, but these executive actions, they could be rolled back at the drop of a pen. Yep. Keep fighting. Let's get this done and let's make this planet livable for us and for everyone after us. Yeah, agreed. And like arguably the only thing that we can do as as citizens in this country is vote. That's really like sometimes the only power we have to voice our opinion on certain issues. So get to the polls whenever you can and when you can. Yeah. And when you're not at the polls, get your friends to vote. Get your friends to write letters to their congresspeople. Get your friends to write emails to their senators. Call your your representatives in the House. Like there are ways to get involved and get involved at the local level. Like I, I know that people tend to hate politics and I get it. But if you're listening to this show, I think you at least have a stomach for like why it's important, even if you don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Not many people like it. Don't let that stop you from, from being a good influence on your circle because we can't influence everyone. But what we can do is say, Hey, I voted today. Here's who I voted for. Here's why. If you're interested, go do the same. And like, maybe people won't listen. Maybe they will, but everything adds up. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. That will do it for today's episode of TPT. On Monday, we are going to be back for a feature story. Yes. So we're going to be talking about two major projections for the U.S. climate. It will not be a fun episode, but it's going to be an important one. So tune <laughs> in. <laughs> Until then, please go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. Send us an email at planettodaypod at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter if you'd like at Matt Norton. Nick Janusa produces our show and makes all the music you hear throughout. Nick, where can people hear more from you? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash Budlin Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out. 
Our logo was made by Kaylee Vietz. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace. Love you, buddy. Welcome back. Ha <laughs> ha.